Welcome friends and colleagues. Today we continue the theme of repairing what is broken. We talked about how man was created one composed of the male and female element connected and then was cut apart so that the male and female are not connected. That of course creates two independent human beings with different behaviors, different thoughts, different values, different judgments. And the question becomes, how do they come together? In itself, it foreshadows continuous deterioration and brokenness of every relationship. The repair for this problem is family. But family also breaks down with Cain and Abel. And so we go on with the final solution being a God fearing nation that will be a carrier and a teacher of God's message in the world. We've spoken about that. But today I will just want to focus on the proposed repair of men and women growing apart. How do we get them together? Now, uh, in our culture, in our mentality, <clears throat> you get a man and a woman together through love. But love is not mentioned in Genesis. It says, therefore, men should cleave to his wife and they become one flesh. It does not mention love. Now, you might think this is because love is not something that uh, the Torah uh, understands exists, but that's definitely not true. Uh, love between men and women is very much discussed in the Hebrew Bible. And love is in fact commanded in the Shema, Deuteronomy, and you shall love your God with all your heart. So why isn't love mentioned at the point when men and women come together for the family? I'll share with you an interesting story, a story that taught me a lot personally, and that I'll share with you. Many years ago, I was invited to speak in Manhattan to a group of philanthropists on the topic of Jewish genetic diseases and ethics. Now that's a topic that does involve a great deal of ethics and inevitably flows over into religion. So I was concerned because I was coming in not as a religion expert, but as a genetics expert. And also participating was a PhD in philosophy from NYU and a rabbi from a seminary of the more liberal streams in Judaism. But my vanity and ambition prevailed and I decided that I will participate in this. I can make a contribution and it will be another feather in my academic achievements. So as we were waiting for it, I saw the rabbi coming in. He was dressed like some of my teachers, a conservative attire and a hat covering. 
He made his way to me across the room and asked, can I eat here? I showed him that the food was certified by the Orthodox Union. And we had a brief, interesting conversation about something I had written. And then we went up in the podium and each one of the three made a presentation. And then he made the last presentation. I have to say, I was very uncomfortable sitting there and listening to the presentation. There were a few things. First, he would read from a photocopy of a page of the Talmud, and when he was finished with it, he would crumple it up and throw it into the wastebasket. That rubbed me really the wrong way. Uh, in Judaism, as in Islam, there is an emphasis on the holiness of the written word. I remember listening to a uh, Islamic convert to Judaism, I'm sorry, to, to Christianity, and uh, his he was asked, what is the most difficult thing for you to adjust to in your new environment? And interestingly, he said, in Islam, we never put a holy book below our waist. And here, when I go to church, I see people putting their Bibles on the floor next to their feet. He had a really difficult time with that. Well, crumpling up uh, a holy page also had an unpleasant effect on me. And then he started talking about romantic love. And he said, Judaism does not believe in romantic love, but I think it should. And he elaborated in this vein, uh, which, which I also was very uncomfortable with. And by sitting there uh, on top of the podium and not protesting, I was being complicit with this travesty. Why travesty? Because first of all, it does. And second of all, even if it had not, would it be appropriate for an individual to say, but I think it should be. Well, let's talk about romantic love for a minute. And we have to realize that we're inheritance of the 19th century French Enlightenment. Prior to it, love, romantic love, was seen as madness. Cupid just shot his arrow and love happened between people who may be very incompatible and all kinds of tragedies resulted from that. Romantic love was seen as madness. The word lovesick refers to an actual disease prevalent in the Middle Ages where a man would have a what we would now probably call a crush having seeing a woman that he doesn't even know would fall sick and gradually not eat and drink and gradually whittle away. And the cure was uh, uh, either to see the woman, to touch her, or even sometimes an object of her dress or comportment like a handkerchief. They thought that witches caused many of these things so painful and so powerful was this falling in love. love. The medieval Sefer Hasidim talks about this kind of bewitchment, but it was all through the culture. In the 19th century France, it changed. Love became something that justified everything. Love triumphs over all, and I might say even morality. 
I mean, what if two people were married to one another? It's love. It justifies that if you fall in love with someone outside the marriage, it's all good and one has to be true to yourself, oneself. Adultery thus became a virtue. When we're informed by this kind of perspective, it is that kind of love that we seek to find in the Holy Read, and we don't. So therefore we ask the question, why doesn't a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, come back through love? Why don't they unite through love? Where is love in this passage? The truth, however, is that when the Bible talks about love, it means something related, but also not exactly the same. As an aside, let us talk a little bit about love of God. In, in the Torah, there are only three commandments to love. One is to do, love the Lord your God and the Shema. Another one, love your neighbor as yourself. And you shall love the stranger. Now, it is true that in Talmudic thought, beginning of the second parak, second chapter of Kedushin, there is a law that a man is not permitted to marry a woman without first seeing her. Why? Because uh, if he just enters an arranged marriage, he might find her detestable and he will come to hate her. And that is against the biblical commandment, the commandment you should love your neighbor as yourself. A wife is certainly a neighbor. But love means something else, and focusing on that will, I think, give us the answer. Uh, it's become very common in modern uh, biblical interpretation and thought to see the covenant between God and the Jewish people as a type of love. Let me explain. Uh, for those who want to explore further, Jonathan Sarna's commentary on Deuteronomy and a book by John Levinson, J-O-N-L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N, The Love of God, Divine Gift, Human Gratitude, Mutual Fulfillment, I think, uh, published in 2015 by Princeton University Press, is, is something where you can look further. But the concept basically is that Deuteronomy follows the more recently archaeological dis discovered uh, Hittite treatise in where a stronger king makes a pact with the vassal king. It starts with the reminder of all the good that the greater one has done for the weaker one, promises protection, puts in consequences of disobedience, and commands that love should exist between the two. In the Deuteronomy case, the insight was that God is the stronger sovereign and the Jewish people is the weaker sovereign. And the Deuteronomy is a treaty following that format. You can also look at Kitchens and the veracity of the Old Testament for an attempt to date different types of such treaties and therefore date Deuteronomy, and it comes out to really be the Genesis in the Mosaic period. Very interesting approach. But without this, it's quite clear that in Tanakh, love between God and Israel 
and the covenant between God and Israel is modeled after the love and the covenant between men and women. The word covenant is key. If you look at Malachi, Malachi 2.10 to 16, you will see that uh, the people are criticized for betraying the wife of their youth. Because Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have break, broken faith, and she is the partner and the wife of your covenant. The people who came back from Persian exile were intermarried. They brought their wives with them, they married new wives from the surrounding nations, as we learned in the book of Ezra. And Rashi unpacks these verses and says, Did not the Holy One first make Adam and Eve? The verses say that what does one want, the one, what does God want? Zerah Elohim a seed of God. Abraham Grossman, a great uh, authority in Russia, thinks that this is an, a view of a wife as being divine um, seed. And what it's saying is that you should stay in the marriage within your people and within your faith. This verse is also talk about marrying a daughter of a foreign god. I'd reference Maimonides Isuri Bia, chapter 12, where he talks about intermarriage in those terms. The concept would be that since marriage is a covenant, since the closest two people that can ever be is a man and a wife within a covenantal marriage, they must be very much in sync. To be in sync with the daughter of a foreign god, with a wife or a husband who is different, thinks different, worships different, has a different set of aspirations and goals, is marrying a daughter of a foreign god and therefore betraying both the wife of your youth and a god of your youth. Rashi continues and says that the husband who does this, who takes a second wife not of his same faith, shows that he is not a descendant of our father Abraham. There are references to that. There's ways to understand uh, certain verses in that uh, passage that way. Whose way is to practice compassion toward all humans and all the more to his wife with him, with whom he entered the covenant. I'd refer you, you know, for the Christians who are listening to this, refer to passages in Corinthians about being equally yoked. Um, and there is much to speak about the correspondence of these verses in Malachi and the expressions there and whether they follow the view of Malachi or not. But that's not our topic today. The 
view of love as la la as love um uh, sorry love as life uh, lived together is the view that informs uh, the verse in genesis for a good elaboration of that you can take a look at Maurice Lamb L A M M uh, the book called the Jewish way in love and marriage where he has a long section discussing this so therefore love is something that is not necessarily what brings them together but it's what keeps them together and love can develop after marriage does not need to be present before marriage so if you look at genesis 24:67 where isaac brings rebecca rifka into his tent it says and isaac brought her into the tent of his mother sara and he took rifka took Rebecca in marriage and she was a wife to him vayahave and he loved her love comes after marriage we in achemitzakhreimo and Isaac was comforted after his mother shades of imago therapy we marry people who are most like our parents there's a lot to say referring to rashi there um but basically we can simplify by saying that Rebecca stepped into the role of Sarah in the house in the tent and therefore Isaac loved her more and more it's a covenant the relationship grows and develops as life is built together now love without covenant is in biblical view a raging fire it's interesting i heard a lecture and i can't unfortunately remember where and how uh but that points out that uh all examples of love between men and women in the bible end badly for example you have uh, amnon and tamar shechem and dina michal and david we cannot david and jonathan Jonathan did not come to a good end either and Samuel too This is love that is not within a covenant There's much talk about David and Jonathan of course it's it's kind of an outlier in the in this four but it's compared to the love of women in David's famous eulogy for Jonathan On the other hand love between men and wife are called knowledge and adam knew if his wife living together building towards the same goal being united in spirit and the fear of god makes love grow kahelas ecclesiastes 9:9 what is what is it the person should do all the days of of your vanity see life with the wife whom you loved all the days of your vanity 
this growing, deepening relationship we referred to before in the Talmud Bhavakama 97, which talks about a medallion that Abraham made, which showed a young woman and a young man, him and Sarah on one side, and an old woman and an old man on the other side. The Song of Songs emphasizes how much of a fire is in a moral, subversive love. Place me like a seal in your heart, Songs 8.6. For love is strong as death, jealousy as Sheol. It's flashes of flashes of fire, fire, mighty flames. The mentioning of a seal is interesting, because I think it harkens to another verse in Hosea 2.19. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion, and you will know the Lord. Hashem tells the Jewish people that the betrothal, the plan for marriage, the intent to be married must be in righteousness, in justice, love and compassion. When men and women are together, built on this basic foundations, then you will know the Lord. Just like Adam knew Eve, then man or his nation will know the Lord. It's a process of growth. Uh, many people, when they put on the tefillin, the phylacteries for morning prayers, as they wrap them around their arms, will say this verse. Knowledge between two individuals is not recognizing one another. It is sharing assumptions about life and goals of life. When the verse in Genesis says that man should leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, it presupposes life. It doesn't have to say it, because clinging is unification. Clinging is the fix, the repair of the separation of man and woman from the brokenness of the world. Clinging is love that the Bible calls love. It is the solution to disconnectedness, to brokenness, to emptiness, to loneliness, and is the supreme goal of personal and religious life. Thank you, and may you only have blessings.